0: Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast,
1: where we wrestle with questions from the pew.
0: This is Casey.
1: And this is Jenny. Today, we're delving into emotionalism. Casey, what exactly is emotionalism?
0: So if we're looking at the Western perspective of what a lot of people have classified as emotionalism, it's generally stemming from a conservative upbringing. So a, a more um, rigid liturgical stylist Style of worship. And so when you're seeing this term emotionalism, it's saying, oh, there's, these people are just being governed by their emotions. They're letting their emotions rule them in their attitude of worship or in their interpretation of scripture or in anything to do with the church. Their emotions are taking um, the lead.
1: I feel like that whenever I was younger and I was really locked down in my emotions and really had a lot of numbness in my heart, that what would happen is maybe during a worship setting or something like that, I would see people encounter the Lord in emotional ways that I wasn't encountering them. And so in my conclusions, there, there might have been this narrative of, or this, I would say accusation Of emotionalism, which simply stemmed from kind of my judgment that because I'm not experiencing what they're experiencing, what they're experiencing must be false or must be in their own minds. Instead of me maybe having humility and thinking, well, maybe you don't, you're not the end-all, be-all, Jenny. Maybe you don't know everything, because um, I wasn't aware that I had numbness in my heart. Right. I just was the way that I was, and that's all I knew, and I thought that I was right because I was so governed by my intellect and my logic and my— um, Well,
0: what we tend to do is we start to judge other people within the church, and this is very common— by our own strengths or by our own weaknesses. And we kind of expect in a very subjective way that everyone should have the same experience. And if you're not having the same experience, well, then you're doing it wrong.
1: Right. In my religious mindset, I was very proud of the fact that I was very logical and and not given to emotions and that I could choose to do the right things. But the closer that I got to the Lord, the more I studied scripture, the more I was convicted by verses talking about, the love of many growing cold Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, you know, 1 Corinthians, it talks about if you have all knowledge and you can work miracles, but you have love, it means nothing. And understanding that love isn't a logical ascent. And as I learned brain science, I really learned the difference between our logical mind and our emotional mind. And it's not in the logical mind that we actually bond with those around us Mm -hmm. or have deep, intimate connections with them. It's actually in the emotional part of us. Right. And so I had shut that emotional part of me down to protect myself from pain and disappointment and rejection and all these things. And so I very much operated in logic and I believed that I was right. And I would re- really look down on very emotional people.
0: And what's so funny about this is in my upbringing, I would consider your upbringing liberal. In the church that I grew up in, it was very, it's a Christian church, definitely uh, taught and believed the Bible and the scripture. And the gospel, but, I would
1: say that the scriptures that you wanted to focus on, not the whole
0: well most most churches in general teach topically, so I mean, it's whatever the pastor was focusing on, and whatever the pastor avoids, right? So it's up to really every denomination or every every individual church. So the whole point in being that any form of any type of expression in worship was really. Regarded as emotionalism. So, take for example, if someone's swaying too much. I mean, this is a very liturgical upbringing I had. If you swayed too much, be like, whoa, that's odd. If someone raised one hand and just really felt the music, it was whoa they're they're drawing attention to themselves
1: that's interesting because i've i've heard similar narratives similar narratives from the pulpit which are really accusations about the motives inside of people
0: right it's a judgment of motivation and what's interesting is even in calvary chapel like i've heard pastors teach explicitly like the same mindset that if you don't want to be too expressive because you're going to draw attention to yourself. Now, I want to clarify, I completely understand there are people who want attention. They crave attention, they want to be the center of attention. And so they do things in a very exuberant way to draw attention to themselves. And that's a reality. But to judge an entire group or a to make a blanket rule to avoid one person's error to try and hinder other people. That's the same thing that legalism is rooted in because you're trying to put a framework around the law that was never intended to be there.
1: And even if we have a person that maybe has this orphan mindset and and is trying to stir up the spirit to move thinks that their emotions will provoke God to move. Um, there's grace for them, you know. Right. It's like, hey, they're wrong. We're not going to agree with them, but we don't have to condemn them. It's not like an open sin. Mm-hmm. Romans 14 talks about gray areas, and well,
0: we we can't tell if it's an open sin and, until we really start to stand by and spiritually judge, because I mean, we're we're really basing this off of our subjective understanding we're judging them on the basis of appearance not on the basis of the intent of the heart and we are never called to judge the intent of the heart that's god's realm
1: right we don't have the ability to judge someone's heart and exuberant worship isn't a sin
0: no no it is not
1: and one of the other discrepancies i want to point out is like truth is truth wherever you apply it and you know a lie is a lie wherever you apply it And so if we one of the things that I do that really helps me understand is whenever I apply maybe a biblical principle or something that I'm applying to God to my personal life. And so like with my kids, if they are playing football and they score a touchdown, it's completely okay for me to celebrate that. Absolutely. For me to scream and, and yell if you don't,
0: you're a terrible parent. And jump <laughs>
1: up and down and be so proud.
0: My mom was great at celebrating me. <laughs> and
1: so that is acceptable and that's not looked at as oh, that person's drawing attention to themselves or it's all about them. Right. It's actually a celebration of the victory that just happened.
0: Yes. Yeah. But
1: that's somehow not acceptable within the church to celebrate Mm-mm. the victory of the Lord.
0: The victory of Christ on the cross—that should be celebrated more than any idol in Texas,
1: okay. right? <laughs> and so it's it's it and that is it's 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 like we're allowed to celebrate idols.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're allowed if we win the lottery, we can go Ooh. haywire, right? But we they expect
0: you to spend that money.
1: But it is ungodly and drawing attention to yourself <laughs> and self-motivated if you are celebrating the Lord.
0: Right, but that, that is a, again, it's subjective in that you're judging someone's intent. We automatically, in my upbringing, would judge like, oh, they're just drawing attention to themselves, when in reality, they are celebrating the Lord.
1: I can just speak from personal experience, and I remember being raised in a church where it wasn't ex- completely faux pas to raise your hand. It just wasn't normal.
0: See, you were liberal.
1: And um, I remember being in youth group, a young youth, maybe like 13, and the spirit of the Lord was present. And I really had the conviction to raise my hands, but I actually didn't want to be looked at. I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't want people to think I was weird. And the Lord convicted my heart. And it was something like, am I ashamed of him? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to worship him just even in my body, by raising my hands, just a very simple act, and be okay with the fact that people can look at me badly.
0: So, the way I would put it is we will sacrifice our dignity to idols, but we will never sacrifice our dignity to the Lord. And that, that is a scary place to be, in my opinion, because you're giving more worship, more of yourself to a thing, an event something that might give you some idea of success or validation rather than God who created you you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that that's something that brought me conviction in the process of growing up in the very conservative roots i have to this liberalistic expression like i have more free to worship than i would say most people that i encounter because, like, there was a revolution, there was a revelation that I have a Father in Heaven who loves me unconditionally. He is worthy of my excitement. How many kids do you know will talk about, like, my dad's bigger than your dad, my dad's stronger than your dad, you know? How often do we do that? How, how often are we like, we're so enamored, we're so excited, we're in such awe, of our parents and how great they are in our eyes that we would express that to the world but kids will do it every day like where 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 is our focus and where is our heart
1: one of the things I started learning as I was getting into brain science, which I love science, I find it fascinating. You know, there's this idea of the emotional part of our brain and the logical part of our brain. And we actually bond deeply with people in the emotional part of our brain. It doesn't stem from a logical ascent. We can logically know someone, but we can't have a deep bond or connection with them without the emotional part of our brain. And so in our Western culture, it's almost like, we only accept the logical studying of god studying of his word understanding him and we really exalt understanding um logical well, I, understanding
0: I, I wouldn't even say it's understanding it's just a a a knowledge knowledge yeah we have a knowledge of him understanding is far deeper
1: that's true that's true and that's why the pharisees missed it right they had
0: they had knowledge,
1: knowledge. but no understanding no understanding yeah. and so for us to to really know god and really know what he's like and be able to be connected with him and attuned to him and how he's feeling in a situation there has to be an emotional bond and what happens is that in our culture we have so many broken people and they are doing the best that they can and they are raising children that inevitably they weren't raised well and so they're doing the best they can mm-hmm. and um and we are
0: we just think we're doing better than our parents did.
1: Right. It's, yeah. it's, and, and
0: they were doing better than their parents. So. Right.
1: And so inevitably there's coping mechanisms that come to rescue people from intense emotions. And a very common one is to shut down the feeling part of you. Because if I can't feel, then I won't get brokenhearted, then I won't get disappointed. Mm. And it's really a a protection mechanism. It's something I noticed in myself that I knew something was wrong because I couldn't feel deeply really any emotions besides maybe anger. And and because I couldn't...
0: I I can validate that.
1: (laughs) And because I couldn't feel... Um, Now, I did have the experience where at one point in my life I could feel deeply and then something shifted. There's a broken heartedness. And then my emotions shut down and I was no no longer able to feel deeply again. And so some people I feel like that that happened so early on, just that their entire memory is the way that they are now, which is shut down in their emotions. So they think that that's normal and that Mm -hmm. that's how people are. But I actually had the benefit of having had the emotions and then lost them and I remember begging God for them wanting these emotions back recognizing that I couldn't feel deeply I couldn't love deeply and so I knew the difference so I knew that there was brokenness there and so I was on this journey of pursuing him because I recognized that I couldn't deeply feel love towards God or towards anyone for that matter because of this this numbness or the shutdown of my emotions which I felt like I had no control over Mm -hmm. Which I got, you know, through inner healing to listen to our message on inner healing and, and deliverance and things like that. But um, now I feel deeply and I can and I'm and I think that there's even more. I think that there's people that feel much deeper than I do. And that those that it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Now they have different pitfalls than people that are more logically minded. Right. And they have different ways that they have to learn how to walk that logical people don't struggle with. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that they're wrong or flawed or broken. In fact, I find it much easier for those people to connect with the Lord than people that have the emotional part of them centers shut down.
0: Yeah, that is this picture that we face here in the West, that we are very much a Greco-Roman-influenced, logic, reason-based society, which is not a bad thing except for the fact that there has been a deprivation of emotion. And what we would call emotionalism here in the West would never be called emotionalism in Latin America. Right. (laughs) Or the Middle East. Or in the underground church of China. They're not even close. Like we have no clue as to the expressiveness and the depth of emotion that people can have. And it be absolutely legitimate because these people... Have encountered the love of God in the midst of persecution.
1: So let's talk about Jesus, who is a Hebrew, which is Middle Eastern. And and what are mm-hmm. Middle Easterners like?
0: They're very expressive. They're very, very expressive, and they feel deeply, and you know it, right? In the Hebrew culture, you would have whalers being hired. Where there would be weeping and weeping and weeping over, over the death of a loved one.
1: In contrast, in America, when we have someone that gets up and says a eulogy and doesn't cry, we tell them, good job, you made yeah, it through. Yeah,
0: you kept it together. You it's held almost, the emotions in.
1: It's cheered in our culture to not express emotion. Yes. And in their culture, that's actually highly inappropriate.
0: Right. No, they're, if you don't show the fact that you're mourning, it's almost as if you didn't even care about the person. Right. And so when it says Jesus wept over Lazarus, it's not just this this uh cinemagraphic one tear and he's holding it in and he's keeping it together no he wept he was grieving he was sorrowful it was ugly crying as we would call it which is good for you because mourning is necessary in the midst of loss and it is a season that god will have you in when you do lose someone
1: I think it's easier whenever you know someone that's very expressive or exuberant. You know, here, we don't have as many Middle Eastern people. I have a Middle Eastern aunt. And so I got to experience from a young age the Mm. difference that that she was from the rest of my family. (laughs) You know, she would come in whenever from a long time of not seeing her, and she would yell and throw up her hands and grab my head and kiss me on both cheeks and pull me into her bosom and just, you know, loudly talk about how much she missed me and just so expressive – And I think as a young American kid, I was just kind of freaked out.
0: What's wrong with you?
1: Probably more people here know like Italians or Latinas, you know, that are, you know, Latinas are a little more expressive than we are. Italians are even more expressive. My sister married an Italian man. And at Thanksgiving, that was the loudest dinner that I've ever been to was an Italian Thanksgiving dinner. Like they just, they're loud and they're expressive and it's, we're not right just because our culture is very quiet, but we're not the quietest culture. When no. we went to Japan, the Japanese are so stoic <laughs> and so non-emotional that they were warning the Japanese, listen, when the Americans are yelling, they're not necessarily mad. Sometimes <laughs> they just get loud. Yeah. So, Especially
0: Southerners <laughs> or Northeasterners, right?
1: And so it it was interesting. So we have like different cultures that express emotions in varying degrees mm-hmm. um, through differences in volume and expression and things like that. And and we can't filter other people through our cultural mindset, believing that we're right and that they're wrong. Yes,
0: and that that's the problem. We're filtering through our cultural bent, which is subjective. And this is the problem I see with most of the Western Church, especially the, uh, the pre-tribulationist or premillennial. There's always this mindset that the view of the Church is the American Church. And I'm going, no. Throughout history, it's usually not the American Church. And even now, the largest portion of the Church is not American. And so when we look at the, the wider spectrum and really take a, a broader view of the Church— We're actually probably more on the legalistic side in the West more than any because of our Greco-Roman reasonable logic understanding. I want to clarify, there's fault that can be found in all extremes of any view. And what I teach and what I advocate so much is that emotions are not bad. (laughs) Emotions are actually good. Jesus was emotional god is emotional david Uh, when when you look at and we don't ever think about this but when you read the scripture that god is angry every day you go huh (laughs) wait what what do you mean oh he's holy he's righteous and he looks at the depravity of man and he sees the corruption and the destruction that's taking place in humankind and he's angry at that sin
1: but then there's also he dances over us Right, and you go to Zephaniah
0: and he's dancing over us, twirling his robe over us in the heavenlies because he's excited.
1: He wouldn't be allowed in most worship services.
0: No, God would not be. That's true.
1: David, David wouldn't be allowed in most worship services.
0: that's exactly the point I'm getting to, and I'll, I'll talk about David in just a second. But this picture of emotions are good. They're not to be pushed down. They're not to be pushed away. They are a helpful, helpful friend. In regards to worship to the Lord, they are not to be the lead, and your reason and logic is not to be the lead. Guess what? Your logic and reason and your emotions are to be subject to the Spirit of God. And so, it's it's not that, oh, we're going to go from this one extreme of logical reason to emotion. That's not the lead. The lead is, no, we couple both of these. This is the right hand, this is the left hand, and I'm going to work together in tandem, yielded to the guiding of the Spirit. Neither one is wrong.
1: I'm not going to be afraid of expression, because expression, we're not given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Right. And so we should be operating not from fear, fear of judgment, fear of man, fear of offending God. Mm-hmm. We we should operate from a place of love, and there and not should be, be balance.
0: not be afraid of offending man. And this is the thing. I'll go back to that statement. Are we willing to sacrifice our dignity to the Lord? And... I always go, this is my favorite painting in the world, is where David is dancing before the ark. That that right there encapsulates the joy of the Lord, encapsulate what many of the West would call emotionalism, and actually exactly what McCall, his wife, said. So I want to read in Second Samuel 6, 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might, with all of his strength, with everything within him, And David was girded with a linen ephod, so he was just wearing his undergarment. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of a trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. There is this beautiful expression of leaping and singing and joy, exuberance, dance. Why? Because the victory of the Lord, the presence of God, was now brought to Jerusalem.
1: So in this scripture that Casey's talking about, it talks about how that McCall despised David in her heart. Mm-hmm. And the result of that was that she had no child until the day of her death. So there's actually kind of a warning for those that are looking on and judging and you know, talking down to people who are expressing emotion before mm-hmm. the Lord. There's a warning in that. You know, and the, the good news is is that we don't have to understand what's going on inside of people's hearts and how they are interacting with the Lord. It's between them and God. We don't have to figure it out. We are released from you know being over them or judging them or deciding if it's real or not. That's not our job. We can stay in our lane. We can work on our heart with God. We can try and figure out what's going on inside of us if I have numbness And I, I, there's people that I do trust that I know are deeply connected with him and they're experiencing and feeling something that I'm not, then humility would say, Hey God, if there's something wrong in me, will you please show that to me? And if there's not, okay, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. You know, but I, I don't want to assume that I'm the one that's right. And that every everyone else in the room is wrong.
0: Right. And what's so amazing about this passage, I encourage you all to go read it. But in 2 Samuel 6, 21, he's basically laying out, hey, God has appointed me as king. The people have risen me up to be king over Judah and Israel. I am the appointed king over this place. And so because of that, I will play before the Lord. I love that. I will play. I will laugh. I will be amused. I will dance. I will shout. I will fight. I will have excitement before God because he has exalted me. And how much, how much more, having the Spirit of God in you, not just upon you, but in you, can we rejoice in the victory of Christ, that now we are seated with him in heavenly places, exalted with Christ because of what Christ has done. The problem with the church is not that there's too much excitement. There's not enough.
1: (laughs) In 1 Peter... Peter's talking and he says in verse eight, though you did not know him yet you believed you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And so the people are rejoicing with inexpressible joy. Mm -hmm. And this is a Middle Eastern people. Mm -hmm. This isn't a stoic people.
0: Yeah. That's going to be very exuberant in comparison to what we would claim is emotionalism.
1: I think that, that there's really just a fear. I think that, I think some people have churches that they really value, that really focus on teaching the knowledge of Scripture, and they have maybe mundane worship services. And they love their church. They believe that they're right. They feel very comfortable there. And to look at another church that is exuberant or looks different Mm. might make them deep down believe something's off, Mm. and they don't know if it's off with them or with the other church but pride will tell you, well, it's not my church that's wrong. Yeah, It's not my expression that's wrong.
0: Well, and, and the thing is, the expression, even if it is very, very reserved in its expression, isn't wrong. And so you can fall into the inverse judgment of saying, oh, you're not expressive enough, when in reality, we that's, again, judging the exterior, actually judging the heart by the exterior. It's the same sin that uh samuel had with saul right the the lord judges the heart not the outward appearance and so we as christians in whatever spectrum and level of exuberance that we have in our worship services needs to be held in a humble attitude to know that just because someone worships differently does not mean that they're wrong
1: sometimes I think there's a mindset that if I stir myself up emotionally enough, then the spirit will move. Mm, yeah. And and so that's, that's, that's almost the other motivation. extreme. Yeah. It's almost saying like, I have to hype this thing up. I have to do lots of things um, in order to provoke the Lord to move. And I think that's really the fear behind maybe the accusation of emotionalism, maybe.
0: Yeah, th- this, this mindset of, if I do something, if I perform in a specific way, whether that be in an, an emotional way or whether that be in a reserved way, that will provoke the Lord. But here's the thing. We don't provoke him to act. He is not. He is not subject to our actions. We are to be subject to his. And that's the problem.
1: Right. Emotions should re- be a response. Absolutely. To what he's doing, not the other way around.
0: Exactly. And, and that's why it is to be subject, just with just like reason is to be subject to the Spirit of the Lord. It's a response to what He has done and provided for us, right? You don't get celebratory before you score the touchdown, right? That like, doesn't make any sense. If that we
1: celebrate enough, then we will get a touchdown.
0: I'm, I'm just going to let you know that doesn't work. I played a lot of football. <laughs> it doesn't matter how excited you get. If the other team's better... You're not going to
1: score right. We're not going to provoke the lord to to move or to heal through right. excitement exactly. and so there there's extremes on both ends. there is. There's wrong beliefs on both ends,
0: but the heart issue is a judgment of intent based off of an ex an exterior expression.
1: I think the the right place to always come from is, is a place of humility, a place of grace. You know, okay, maybe they do believe that if they row themselves up enough that that God will move. Well, maybe that for leadership just takes a, a humble conversation, which we've had before with people. Oh, absolutely. Like, hey, um, you know, when you brought that shofar horn in and blew it during worship, <laughs> um, we we would really like you to talk about that with us first yeah. and, and let's talk about why you wanted to do that and, yeah. and where your heart was. And, and it was this thought of, I can provoke God to come through ushering in. Yeah. And you know what? There was grace there. No, absolutely. You know, we didn't have to condemn them. We, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal.
0: Mm-mm. No, and, and this is where we have to come to this understanding that I can worship the Lord in any season, in any style of worship. Guys, I listen to every type of Christian music. Every type. Cowbell absolutely amen it needs more cowbell in our worship services okay no i mean you can there are there are very liturgical churches that worship only in gregorian chants where you don't even know what's going on but you chant and they esteem that as reverent worship unto god praise be to god i mean he's glorified in it because if their hearts are in it it's true worship It's about the motivation of the heart, not the outward expression.
1: Right. I decided the same thing with the people that express that, you know, women can't wear makeup and can only have long hair and only wear long dresses. And, you know, if their heart is hey, like I'm doing this because I believe it honors my God and I want to honor him, that's beautiful. That That's completely between them and God. That mm-hmm. is none of my business. It's not my business to decide. But if their heart is, I'm holy because I'm like this and you're not because you're not like mm-hmm. this, then they're in the wrong. But also good news is I don't have to judge whether they're judging or not.
0: Right, and I was just reading this account with uh, Charles Finney of this woman who was in turmoil of mind. Because she didn't know if she was saved. She didn't know how to get saved. She didn't know what to do. She was just, I mean, severe depression. And she would always come to Finney, asking for him to pray. To pray, And he just started to avoid her because he was like, she's just using me as a crutch. Like, I can't save her. She just wanted me to pray for her, hoping that it might work. And then finally he said, stop. Stop. I'm not here to save you. The Lord, he is the only one who can do it. Don't ask me to pray for you again. And she was destroyed fell on the ground right there, and he just walked out of the room. He's like, this is getting old. And then finally, she came out of the room a couple minutes later and said, I've done it. I've done it. I've given my life to the Lord. I'm saved. And he's going, okay, I don't understand. And her response was, I didn't know, but these ornaments that I decorate myself with to beautify herself were an idol in her life. And the Lord would always bring that to her mind over and over again and that was her hindrance to salvation she did not put away the thing that hindered her and then finally she came to her mind and she said lord i will i will put away these ornaments that i have made as an idolatry in my life and guess what she was saved
1: it reminds me of the 10 virgins and how five had oil and the other five begged them for their oil mm-hmm. and they couldn't give their oil away no and so our oil is our intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Our, our time spent with him is gathering our oil. And we have to have that oil so we'll be ready when the bridegroom comes back. And we, you can't borrow someone else's oil. She was trying to borrow mm-hmm. Finney's oil. Yeah,
0: and the point, of the point of the testimony is there can be things that are a hindrance that we don't recognize are a hindrance. And for us to judge, because we don't know the intent of someone's heart, There might be emotionalism that is an idol in someone's life. Very well might be. There also might be a legalism on the other spectrum. Both spectrums are legalistic or judgment of other Christians because they're too expressive. Whatever it may be, it's the intent of the heart and whether someone is positioned in a place of worship.
1: Remove the plank out of your eye before you try and get the splinter out of theirs.
0: And so the point of what we're saying here in this idea of emotionalism is It is incredibly subjective. And that is a scary place to be because it's not rooted in truth. It's rooted in perception, and perception is not truth. That is judging the outside and not the inside. And so what we are called to do is to show grace to someone that might have a different expression of worship. Maybe someone is very emotional in their worship. So be it. Now, you allow the leaders of a house— whatever leadership of that church family or fellowship, they are the ones who are to stand by and judge and conduct order within the service. But again, you are not to sit here in a place of judgment.
1: And different houses have different levels of grace. Absolutely. Some have a lot more tolerance and a lot more grace and others have very little or no tolerance or grace. Right. And it's not your job to judge the that the house has the correct amount of grace.
0: Right. And because again, it's subject to... The leadership and and what they are yielded to and what they believe and what their conviction is, not necessarily whether it's right or wrong, it's just their conviction of how things are to be conducted in a worship service. So we are not to sit in this place of judgment, whether someone's too expressive in worship or not expressive enough. The picture is both reason and emotion being subject to the will of the Lord.
1: And when you're going to err, err on the side of grace.
0: That is the safest bet.
1: And when it what it comes down to is that you need to have your own intimacy, your own relationship with the Holy Spirit. You have your oil with him. You can't borrow other people's oil. And from your lack of oil, you can't condemn other people's oil.
0: And you can't get God to move. Yeah. Because you're trying to stir up oil.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is, and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email.
1: Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.